Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. We are a community of people learning the way of Jesus to bless our city of Boise, Idaho, and beyond. Redemption Hill is a unique place. We are a collective of micro churches that do life together throughout the week and gather on Sundays to grow, worship, and celebrate what God is doing in our city. You are invited to join us Sundays at 9 a.m. at Discovery Church in Boise, where you can find the community you need in any season of your life. More details can be found at redemptionboise.org. Up next is the teaching segment from this week's Sunday Gathering. Afterwards, stay tuned for more information on how to get connected at Redemption Hill. All right. Uh, today we are we're a little bit delayed from our normal, um, what has been our normal, i.e. for the last year and a half, um, our normal schedule of how we walk through our finances and our budget. Normally what we do is December 1st, um, we have a Sunday where we talk about things, and then throughout December we pray together about what God has called us to commit to the community to give, and then we build our budget based off of the commitments of the community, and then um, we, we're going to do that again in the next year. And this year, obviously, with not meeting for the six weeks from November through December, um, it required us to kind of change. But we're going to stay, we're still in La Familia. This is a part of our sermon series. We're not like stepping out of it. But what I, what I want to do is what families do when we do life together is that we, there are some families, there's some parents that imagine that our kids have to have this never-ending, um, never-ending, like, constant activity that is fun and filled with family connection. Like there's this like Disneyland version of parenting and, and family that's like if our, if our kids have to sit through something that's hard or they have to listen to us argue or fight, then it's bad for them. And I got to tell you, that's not true. <laughs> our, our kids need to actually be a part of every part of our lives. They need to hear about our finances. How many of you never heard your parents talk about their budget or if they had money or didn't have money? How many of you never heard your parents talk about that? I guess most people never hear it, and then, they, and then we get to adulthood, and we're like, why didn't anybody teach me about how to build a budget? And why didn't anybody, like, we, we do that same thing. And healthy families, what they do is they sit and they talk about the business of the family, the actual day-in, day-out things that we are responsible for and that we care for, so that our kids will then be able to do those same things and have like a set of skills to draw on. And we want to do that same thing as a community where uh, a, a lot of communities will basically just treat the back end of the community like it's like something completely different. But we want to bring that in and go, we're just going to have a family meeting today. We're going to talk about some important things. We're going to celebrate some important things. And then we're going to be challenged to join in with what God's doing. So if you're new around here, this is like the only Sunday of the year that we do this. <laughs> so it's, if it's if it's a little weird, that's okay. But I think that you'll see that the way that we think about money is different than most places that you've gone. Um, and today we're just going to start by looking back at Acts chapter 2 and the very beginning of the people of God. When the kingdom came to life through the Spirit's filling of the church, there was this natural economic order to the early church that was just them responding to God's presence in their life. And I don't want to miss out on 
how formative that should be for us as a body. So it's going to be a familiar passage, but I want to talk through it. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. If you have your Bibles, pull them out, or your Bible app if you want to take some notes. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them. Then the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, and then they met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to the fellowship those who were being saved. Now, I want to point out that first, what we're doing with our dispersed model of a network is identical to Acts chapter 2. They gathered together in the courts of the temple for teaching from the apostles, and then they went out and they shared their lives and homes at the dinner table. This was the very beginning, and it was this mega church model that had this dispersed network. And that's why we do what we do. This is not something we're inventing. We're gathering hold of something from the old and we're bringing it forward. So I want to bring that forward. Second is, this is still a blueprint for us today of what it looks like to gather. We gather around the missionaries' teaching. Those who had been with Christ, those who had been formed by the way of Jesus, they stand up and they tell the things that they heard Christ say in the presence of lots of people, and they entrusted it to faithful people who were listening to them and to fellowship which meant that they enjoyed life together and to sharing in meals including the lord's supper and to prayer this still shapes us two thousand years later how we do things but i also want to note that as the holy spirit fell on them that it didn't just form how they met it reshaped the economic reality of their families first we see very early that their families rejected them for following the Nazarene. Because they followed Jesus, their family said, you are an apostate to our Judaism. And the Jewish leaders kicked them out of the temple just a couple chapters later. And they can only meet in houses because they don't have a place to gather. Oh, I love when I have a dry mouth and I drink coffee. Because you know it's not actually solving the problem, but it feels good in a second. <laughs> Um, but the, the believers, they're meeting together, and, and they have to reshape into new kinds of families because they've lost their social systems around them. Their families have basically said, you no longer have access to the social capital built into our oikos, these multi-generational, large, extended families from the first century. And so the church had to be countercultural and say, okay, we have to recreate what we had in our families in this new family of God. And we talked about last week how the only way to join up and be a part of the bride of Christ in this marriage to the king is to do an important work of divorcing, of setting aside, of leaving the family of origin and joining up with the family of God. And we see right here in Acts chapter 2, they get kicked out of their house, and so if they want to form a new household, they got to build it from the ground up. 
And we talked last week about we're, we're still holding on to our family of origin, which is the world and the broken systems of this world. And if we want to see the kingdom come in our lives, we have to leave the world behind, leave behind the abusive marriage that we had with the world, leave behind the abusive parents that we had, not necessarily our actual parents, but this world is parenting us. This world is shaping us. We have to leave it behind and cleave to Christ and be shaped by him alone. And what they did was they sold what they had and shared the money with those in need. This is, this was radical in the first century. I don't want you to read this and go, oh gosh, that's what they did in the first century. They, were, they weren't very selfish. They weren't very greedy. They just took what they had and they sold it and gave it to other people. It, it was so normal. No, this is here because it was truly countercultural in the first century. And it's still, even if we are warm towards this idea of shared belongings in the family of God, it still is a, does it bristle at you? My bet is if you live in Idaho, there's probably a libertarian ethos that has crept its way into your soul. And the systems of the financial world that we live in is telling you that you, are, you have to take care of yourself and you have to take care of yours and everybody else is out on their own. That's, that's the ethos that we live in, this radical individualism. But the kingdom of God has this radically different economic reality where everything that they had they recognized was a gift from God and that they were merely stewards and conduits of it. And this is the kind of people that we are called to be. But I think it, it shows up in different ways than has been framed. So we're going we're gonna to keep going. Let's go to our next slide. There we go. You got it. Um, how we think about our finances. Um, we, as Redemption Hill, are a, are a different kind of... Oh, God. Well, thank you, Matt. Oh, Matt did that right. Keddy, thank you for managing Matt well. We're, we're thankful. Killing it, killing it. Um, he beat me in a very competitive one-year-old birthday party game last night that I'm still smarting over, so we're working through things. Um, we, we think about our finances as a community different than most churches will. And here's, here's the main difference. We don't see this organization as the center of God's mission. We see this organization that we have joined in as a part of Zachary mediating there. It's, yeah, this is important. Um, we, we see the work that we do as a missionary sending agency. Okay, so think of like in the, in the 20th century, you had churches that money flowed in and then services flowed out. And the church was the end point of the, of the receiving of the money. Okay, that's the way they thought about it. And maybe a trickle would go out through, through mission or through benevolence. But when you think of a missionary sending agency, what does a missionary sending agency do? I worked as a missionary for 10 years with an organization, actually the largest missionary organization in the world, other than some Catholic church, the largest Protestant organization in the world, 25,000 staff worldwide. They had like, it was like a $100 million budget, but you know how much stayed in the organization? Almost none of it. It was like a 10 to 90% ratio would flow into the organization and then out to the people who were doing the work outside of the organization. And this is what we think that a network of Jesus followers should look like, is that we have a distinct way of thinking about our money. It's not for Redemption Hill. It's for the sake of the mission of the church in the, in the world. And so 
we think about giving differently um, in that we don't see it as a nice thing to do to feel good and check off your list. You don't get any kudos for giving money here. You don't get a plaque on the wall. Um, we don't celebrate you in a newsletter for being a top 10 giver here, okay? So if that's what you're looking for, I'm sorry, we'll still take your money, but uh, you're, not gonna, you're not gonna get you know, your plaque on the wall. We actually, I, my first church that I led, every single pane of the stained glass, they like, it, I think they fused these little bronze plaques for like $50 donations, like into the, it was like this absurdity. You'd see like a piece of trim and it's like donated by the Williams family in 1952. You know, like, like that was, everybody had to make sure that it was noticed. First of all, that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is everything that I have is the Father's. And so when I give it back to him, it's not some great hullabaloo of my generosity. All I'm doing is responding to his generosity by using his resources the way that he's told me to. And so it's just the most natural thing that we give generously. Um, we give of our first fruits and our last fruits. And this is a, a tithing perspective from the Old Testament, where instead of waiting till the end of the harvest season, so it starts, harvest start in like June and they end in October. And what we normally think to do is to say, well, let's see what the whole number is going to be. Let's make sure that I hit that 10% just right. And so I'm going to wait to make sure I, I get all the bushels of corn in my harvest before I give it back. But in the Old Testament, what, what God said was he gave, he gave to 10 tribes, uh, actually 11 tribes, all of the land of Israel. And one tribe didn't give any land at all. And he said, because they don't get any land, you have to take 10% of everything that I entrust to you with this land, and you're going to bring it into the storehouses of the temple, and you're going to provide for the Levites that way. But it was meant to be from the first fruits. And so they didn't wait until October to bring the food into the harvest. They did it in June as the first fruits came. And so we don't wait till the end to give. We give along the journey, believing and trusting that God is going to provide for what comes along. Um, our second distinct way that we think about our finances is that generosity is not just for the people to the organization. And this has been the way that most churches frame generosity is you should be generous by filling up our bank account. And then we're going to do whatever we want with it because that's what we do as an organization is we do what we want. But instead, thinking about generosity is not just for our people, but we're going to be a community that's marked by generosity, and we're going to have more money going out as much as possible because we believe that the work outside of the church is just as important as the work inside the church that we do. And so generosity is not just for the people, but for all of us as a community together. Um, and, and what you see is across the board, a lot of churches, oh, the, this is being handed out to you. So if you feel like we're going too fast or there's going to be numbers and stuff, you will have a copy of this. It's also online. Um, but what we've seen, and there's, there's actually a church here in Boise that I've heard about, uh, Ada County's taking away their property tax exemption because the only thing that they do in the church is gather together and serve each other. And you know what we call that? It's a country club. It's a private club where there's a building, you pay dues to take care of your building, and all of the money that goes into the pot goes to serve you. That's not a charitable purpose. That's a self-serving purpose. 
But unfortunately, most churches look more like that than look like a missionary sending agency. And so we believe that it needs to look different for us. Um, We think of our staff as missionaries and support staff rather than employees of the community. Now, this this is a hard thing to switch our mindset around. But the way that historically the church has thought about staff and pastors and leaders who work for the organization is that we hire people to do our work. We hire people so that we don't have to do the organizational stuff and the admin and the setup. We hire people so that we don't have to volunteer anymore. Has anybody ever felt that or thought that? Has anybody ever thought that pastor works for me because I tithe? No one's raising their hand. You've thought it. <laughs> that's, that's a temptation that we have is to think that way. Fortunately, for most of the life of our church, we haven't even, like the pastoral staff hasn't even been paid, and that changes the relationship that we have. Because I, here's the thing, I don't work for you. I work alongside of you. We together are called to this mission of being God's people and bringing the kingdom of God in the world. And when we give to the church and free up people's time by paying them a salary, all that is doing is saying, you have more hours to go and lead and equip the church to be what it was meant to be. We have to flip the way that we think about it. The staff of the church are not employees, but they're missionaries who are called for a particular purpose. And it's not to serve us, it's to equip us to serve the world around us. Fourth, money is for mission, not for security. Now this is a hard one for some of you, um, and it's, it's gonna be about how you feel and think about money, which maybe some of us haven't thought through. But for a lot of us, we see money as two things, either pleasure or safety. Like that's the the primal urge that we have towards money is to gather it so that we can feel good by spending it on things that we want or we grab hold of it and put it in a bank account so that that number feels good in my head. That's the way that we think about it. But money is for mission, not for security. And so we're never gonna be an organization that has lots and lots of money in the bank that's just sitting there for a rainy day. Because we fundamentally believe that our Father, the King, is going to provide for us today just like he's going to tomorrow. And so we're not going to wait around to spend his money on the things he's called us to. When there's hurting and lost and broken people in the world, we're going to spend it on mission. And we're going to have, you know, and, and it, this has gotten better the last couple of years, but a, a buffer to make sure that we have enough money for payroll and all those things. Like we're not, we're not foolhardy about it, but... We're not raising money to st- stick in a bank so that we feel good and we feel safe. Because if, if we run out of money, it actually doesn't change the fact that we are a family of God's people. If we don't have a building to meet in, it doesn't change the fact that we are God's people called to gather together. We can do all that we do without money sitting in the bank. The money sitting in the bank is a representation of the work and generosity of the people to the things he's called us to. We also believe in radical generosity, not just ordinary generosity. Ordinary generosity is I give out of my excess. I give out of the things that I don't need. And we are the the wealthiest, most comfortable nation and people that has ever existed on the planet. And we live in very, very ordinary generosity. 
Across the board, Americans give around 2% of our income to any sort of charitable purpose, 2%. And the church is right in there, 2.5%. We believe that radical generosity requires that we give of something that's costly to us. And it's not about gathering money for the sake of mission. We need to give something that's costly to us, number one, because it cleanses our soul. It cleanses our soul of the tarnishing effect of wealth. Wealth will destroy us from the inside out, and so we have to show wealth that it is not our God by taking away its power to rule us. And so we give generously to cut the tie between us and wealth. And then secondarily, we give generously because we follow a radically generous God who has been overwhelmingly generous towards us in every way, including sacrificially and giving of himself so that we might partake of his kingdom. And so we give radically, with radical generosity. Um, We believe in simplicity so that we have more money available for important things. Uh, And so we you'll find that there's a lot of things that aren't very flashy about how we do things. And those are choices that we make because we'd rather have the money. Uh, does anybody love Moneyball? That's one of my favorite movies. But he talks about uh, they, they don't have, they make the players pay for the soda in the vending machines. And Dave Justice is like mad about it. Like, what's going on here? And Jonah Hill tells him that, uh, that the manager, Billy Bean, likes to keep the money on the field. And Dave Justice's question is, where's the soda can money? Like, but that's, that's the way that we think about what we have is like, there's a limited number of dollars, and we're going to use them wisely, and we're not going to spend it on things that, are, that don't make a difference. We're going to choose some things that are important. We're going to choose some things that we think are valuable, and those are going to shift over time. But we, we move towards simplicity for impact rather than um, doing everything in the best possible way. And lastly, um, we think of generosity as concentric circles of generosity. And we think that it starts with our microchurches. And so what we want to challenge you to is if there's a need in your microchurch, if somebody loses their job or has an unexpected medical expense, we start by saying, how can we provide or could our microchurch provide for this? Instead of going to the organization and saying, let's pool all of our money. If it's if it's a small thing in a small community, we want to connect you to, to them through generosity, and we want you to give generously among your microchurch. Now, um, sometimes you're going to run into things like a massive expense, like an uncovered health expense, tens of thousands of dollars. And then that's when our network of microchurches becomes a backstop to provide benevolence and care for one another. And so small things we care for on the microchurch level, as a network, we partner together to take care of larger needs. And also, for mission, we believe that our partnerships, we're able to give, we're going to see about $25,000 this last year to outside partnerships because together we gave and have deep partnerships with people around the world who are on mission alongside of us. So think of concentric circles of microchurch network, partnerships, planting, and mission. This is one of our values that we've adopted from the, the underground, our, our micro church network. It says this, because we value community and simplicity, we commit ourselves to both sharing and giving. We'll share because it promotes authentic relationship and it breaks the bondage of selfish possessiveness. We believe that the Western doctrine of personal property is imperfect 
and needs to be tempered with more biblical value of generosity and sacrifice. In sharing what we have with others, we confess that God is the true owner and that we are only stewards of his creation and resources. He apportions us for his purposes. We will also give because in giving, we destroy the grip of materialism over our hearts as we release our resources, wealth, or possessions completely into the control of one another. For that reason, we'll pursue relentless generosity and the holding of all things in common. We encourage our people to give as often and as generously as they can and to consider themselves stewards of everything else in their care. Likewise, the collective finances of the church and ministry should set an example in this regard. This is, this is how we approach the questions of giving. And beyond just our, our financial wealth, we also have a buy nothing group so that the things that we hold in common that we no longer need, we find ways to leverage them for one another. Um, my kids have had like four new outfits in the last five years because of you all giving us clothes that you no longer need and then, and then my, my family giving us clothes that, we no longer, that they no longer need. So we have our Buy Nothing group, and we're also trying to build out a, um, a, a library of things that we share in common. Um, you do not need a welder, okay? Luke has one. Clint has one. Ernie has one. You do not need a welder. Luke has one. You can use his. Um, but this, this is the way that we think about our things in common is that God has entrusted things to us that we use. Instead of having all things, each one of us having our own for convenience, we choose to share. Um, let's keep going. I want to share with you some highlights of the last year to celebrate what our generosity has been able to do. First is this. We've, we've had four discipleship huddles with 14 leaders who have been diving into learning the way of Jesus and reproducing the way of Jesus, which is at the heart of the mission of what God's called us to. So we want to, we want to celebrate all that's gone into that. Um, and I want, to, I want to thank particularly Cindy and Bob and Jesse for giving their lives to you all who have experience the kingdom of God through those huddles. Amen? Amen. We have had 10 microchurches over this last year in different stages of formation, and that is double what we had a year ago. Can I get an amen? Amen. Some really good things happening. Um, we had Jesse Peck join our team as an admin, and let's be honest, everything is better once Jesse Peck joined the team. Um, she's She joined us, I think, is it like 10 hours a week? Is that... Is that what it is? Something, ten, yeah. We pay her for ten hours a week. <laughs> um, it's, it, she she has just increased all of our capacity through her her belonging to our team. Um, and then this spring, we're able to invite Andrew Green to join our team as our associate pastor. And he is he's with us half time, and then also leads a nonprofit called Ruja that we also support that works with um, orphans in Africa. So. Uh, we're so thankful Andrew has joined us, and he's been just a huge help to our team. Um, Alyssa Statlander joined our team on our communications. And as you have noticed, everything's gotten better in all of our communications since Alyssa joined the team, and she's been such a gift to us. Um, we were able to add Jesse Horney as an associate pastor to take the work that she's doing in Wonder School and help give her a broader platform for being a being a pastor to our community, and what a gift she's been since she's been with us. 
Um, we had community camp out this summer. We had our microchurch summit with um, a bunch of new microchurches that are launching inside and outside of Redemption Hill. Wonder School has almost doubled in size this last year from two to four classes. Um, and we had our handmade homespun Christmas show last month with, we had 340 people there and raised almost $10,000 for our justice partnerships, which we celebrated last week. And lastly, God has given us seen fit to entrust us with a space on Sunday mornings thanks to the generosity of discovery. God's been doing some incredible things. We're not done yet. Hold on, there's more. Um, we had our Made for This Camp this summer, and this year we had 43 churches nationwide took the sports and arts camp that we created and reached out to their community because you guys helped us build something that they could take and use. Isn't that beautiful? 43 churches. And just here in the valley, we had six, eight, there was 10, is that 10, 2, 4, 6, 8? There's eight. Um, eight local churches that partnered to put on eight different uh, made for this camps. And hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids were impacted by you all stepping in and being the hands and feet of Jesus in that space. Um, we also have some deep partnerships that we have been investing in. Uh, and that amounted to about $25,000 of outside spending. We have Jess and Jessica Walters who serve with Crew at University of Idaho. We've got Matt Michalowski who serves with InterVarsity here uh, in Idaho. We have Young Life Boise that we support in their ministry. Athletes in Action at Boise State, that's the Pavlishes. You named it and get on there, sorry. I, I just missed it. Um, we support Launchpad that um, reaches high school students at Capitol High School. We support City Network that saw 12 churches planted over the last year here in the Valley. We support the Martins who serve in an undisclosed location in the Middle East. Uh, we partner with the Coopers who have launched a thriving church in Kuwait City. Uh, we've just started to support Ruja, which is Andrew Green's um, orphanage ministry in Uganda. Uh, we support Ecclesia, which is a church planting and support network that uh, we have partnered with. And then we are looking to add the Madhus that I introduced last month who serve as a church planting catalyst in Bangladesh, one of the largest least reached places in the world. So thank you for your generosity. Let's praise God together, right? Like that's... Um, this last year we had 18 new donors, um, so that's, that's new people, and the room is f more full than it's ever been. Um, we had 31 recurring donors, and our giving total was 174069 to the general fund, about 8000 to Bene Benevolence, 2300 to the Mission Fund, 7800 to our Housing and Justice Fund, and $9,000 to our Wonder School Scholarship Fund. So our total giving was $200,000. Uh, and I'm just going to fast forward a quick second. Our budget for this year that you approved last December was $130,000. And our giving was 200000 And that created a lot of capacity that we didn't have. So thank you for stepping up. Um, we have miscellaneous income of about $40,000 between selling made for this and registrations from Wonder School. So our total income was two hundred forty, And our net income after expenses is $22,000 which gave us a little bit of cushion in our bank account. We had 211 distinct children who attended events with us at Redemption Hill this last year. Can I get an amen? 
211 kids. That means for every one kid that's here, there's five others that has some connection with our community that we need to deepen and go after. 75 of you adults served at one of our events. Uh, 46 units, so that's individuals or couples, gave. Um, and there's something I want to celebrate is 35 of you gave every month of the last 12 months, which means that you are consistently giving regularly to the body, and we're thankful for that. Uh, let's see. Look, here's just a look at giving over the last four years. So 2019 was 79000 2020 was 96,000 during the pandemic. Um, 2021, uh, it went up to 107, and then our general fund giving went to 175,000 in 2022. So you can see there's there's a spike there, and it's it cor correlates not just with the growth of our community, but alongside the growth of our community, many of you have given more out of the abundance of God's generosity towards you, and some of you have started giving for the first time, which is a step in your discipleship process and also something that we want to celebrate because when you start giving, it hurts the most. Can I get an amen? <laughs> like once you, once you got the auto deduct, it's just like, oh, it's just happening. I'm being generous without thinking about it. But when, when you're first setting it up, there's something expensive about it. So we want to honor those who are first-time givers this year. Um, here's a little bit of our expense highlights. You have it in front of you. You can also, if you pull out your phones, go to redemptionboise.org slash 2023. Everything on here is there, including a detailed um, budget and a detailed expense from last year and our proposed budget for this year. So if you want any of these numbers, they're on our website, and uh, you'll be getting that in an email this week as well. Um, so this is a, a little breakdown of our expenses over the last year. 15000 in ministries, about 4000 made for this. Our celebration ministry, which is Sundays, is about $5,500. $4,500 to communication and outreach, uh, 25000 to facilities, 10000 to operations, 10000 to staffing. And that, that number is large because some of our staffing um, is we, we support our staff by giving them scholarships to uh, educational programs that they're in. So it's, it looks different. It's not under our payroll, but that, a, lot, a lot of that is connected to payroll. Um, Missions and planting, we have 16,640. Um, our community events was about 3,000. Wonder School cost about 42,000, which when you think about, like there's a whole little preschool happening there for $42,000 a year. You're killing it, Jesse. Good job. Um, and then our Redemption Hill payroll is 79,361. So total spending, 218. And just to give you a little sense of internal versus external spending. So this is things that we spend on ourselves versus things that we spend outside of the church, like our justice partnerships, our missionaries, benevolence, and community outreach. 19% goes out, 81% stays in. Now, that's about double the national average of money going out versus money coming in. So that's something to celebrate. We have chosen radical generosity, and I got to tell you, the staff chose radical generosity rather than caring for ourselves because we believe in the mission, we believe in generosity, um, and we want to continue that. And the way to get that external spending larger is to be more generous, both internally and externally, so you and the organization giving. All right, let's talk about what's coming this next year. Now, I don't, I don't have a crystal ball. I listen to the Father, and I take the next step, and that's what we do as a community. But I think that there's some things that are opportunities that we can step into in this next year. Um, and this, this is a passage in Isaiah chapter 43 that has been foundational for our community. 
we go back to pretty regularly because we believe that it's a picture of what God is doing. He's, he brought, like, I think on the launch team, five people came to me having read this verse and said, God gave me a verse for our community. Just distinctively, five different people came to me and said, this has to be a part of how we think of ourselves. It says this, but forget all of that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. And, and really, so before this in Isaiah 43 is this prophetic vision of Israel being restored. And so, so the prophet Isaiah is saying, forget, like, you've got this little thing where you're just hoping that Israel is going to be restored and Jerusalem is going to be this, like, beautiful kingdom filled with justice. Hold my beer. I've got something way better for you, okay? For I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Don't you see it? I'm going to make a pathway through the wilderness. I'm going to create rivers in dry wasteland. The wild animals in the fields, they're going to thank me. The jackals and the owls, too, for giving them water in the desert. Yes, I'll make rivers in the dry wasteland so that my chosen people can be refreshed. I've made Israel for myself, and they will someday honor me before the whole world. The picture here is this true flourishing of all spaces. What we've talked about where God brings the valleys high and brings the mountains low. The water literally starts coming up from the ground as this provision where springs of abundance start to flow. We believe that that's not just a picture of God's provision, but that's also a picture of God's kingdom where he shows up in a spring of, of life, like a river in a desert. That's where we live. We live in a river surrounded by a desert. It's this oasis of life and flourishing. And so we believe that that's what God has called us to be. And we think that it has to look new. We will only get, you will only get the exact same output as the inputs that you have right now. There's a system, and if you do the, all the same things, you're going to get the same things. And so there has to be a stop and a redirection to see something new. And so if we want to see the kingdom of God, there has to be change from the ways that we've done things before. That's why we're pursuing this kind of different vision. And here's the, here's the three things that I think God's laid on my heart. First, I want to say... Over the last... Over the last years, we think that God has been deepening us and preparing us and that he has been pouring into us what we need for this next season. And so what I'm about to share with you is a seasonal thing that we think God is calling us into. It's this. We are really good at gathering people who have walked away from faith and have rejoined faith, but we think that now is a time to take new ground for the kingdom. And so we're going to double down on invitation and sharing the good news and preaching the good news to the world around us through evangelism. And that's not been, like, that's been a passion, but that has not been a part of the ethos of what we've done. That's not the work God has been having us do. He's been having us lay a foundation, but now it's time for us to step into a, a different mode that's going to require a different set of tools that's going to require us to change. And I think that evangelism has to be a part of that. Proclaiming to the world that the kingdom has come. The second thing is the next generation. We believe that this is the reason God entrusts the gospel to us is to be stewards for the next generation. And so that evangelism is going to be focused on those who have yet to even, the average teenager and kid in our city, 7% of them are in church right now. 7%. Okay? 
So that means 93% are not a part of any sort of kingdom community, and it means that we got work to do. And so we're going to make sure that every kid in our city has the opportunity to hear and respond to the good news. Can I get an amen? amen? It's a big ask, but I think God can do it. And last is I think that God is also continuing to build capacity. And I'm not talking about giving capacity. I'm not talking about building capacity. I'm talking about disciple-making capacity. Because God can only entrust to us what we can care for. And so we need all of you to enter into huddles, discipleship huddles, and be prepared so that as God brings people to us, that they will not wither because they are a seed that was planted in shallow ground, but they, they will flourish because they will be watered and cared for through a community of disciple makers. And so capacity is a key piece of what we think God's calling us to. All right, so I'm just going to fly through this stuff. You can look at it more, but um, our proposed budget for 2023, um, we want to increase our generosity outside of the church. We want to deepen and create international partnerships through some vision trips and connections with um, primarily our connections in Africa and the Middle East. Um, we want to take care of our staff a little bit better in terms of helping them be able to pay for all of us have experienced increases in the cost of living and the rise in wages have also gone up, but on our team, our wages have not risen, so we want to take care of our staff. Um, we want to make next generation investments, um, and we'll talk about that as we go. Um, we want to prepare for permanent space. We think that at some point God's going to give us some sort of permanent space, and it's going to cost money, and it's going to take a bunch of work. And so we want to set aside some money to prepare for the mission of creating spaces for the gospel in our city. Um, we want to grow in our regular giving. Uh, we had about $30,000 in one-time gifts that came in this year, and those are great, and that's what makes our budget look so good. But we want to increase our regular giving so that we can plan for what we're going to have this year. And um, we talked about this a couple months ago, but we paid $2,000 in credit card fees this year. And that's $2,000 that takes out of the mission of the church so that we get a few airline miles. <laughs> and so I just want to challenge you, if you're, if you're using your credit card, to go set, it's a pain in the neck, but go set up the ACH giving on Planning Center because it, it could, $2,000 could put on like two full made for this camps around our community. Like that's what we're talking about, hundreds of kids reach. So I want to challenge you in that. Um, you can see our proposed budget. Last year it was $12,626 was our, was our planned budget, which was about $150,000. And our proposed budget for this year is $17,626. And that number is equal to the giving that we have right now. Okay, this is, we're going to plan the budget based on our current giving right now. And what we're going to ask you to do is we're not going to build our true budget until we have the commitments from the community come in and tell us this is what we plan to give this year. Because we're not going to spend money we don't have, and we're not going to spend your money before you generously give it. We're not going to indebt you to the organization. And so what I want to do is I want to challenge you over the next couple of weeks to spend some time as a family praying together, asking what has God given us, what has he entrusted to us, and how do we need to give to what is next. So um, if, if we were to go above that number, the let's say 207,000, which was our giving from this past year, right around there between our income and our, and our general giving, 
Um, the things that we would invest in are those same priorities. Uh, increase our giving to our partners, increase our international partnerships, pay increases for our staff who are underpaid at the, at the time, next generation investments, and one of the things we want to look at is having some internships for young adults who can step into ministry. Um, we want some summer programming throughout the summer, possibly with um, arts and sports for them to connect with us throughout the summer, and then uh, increasing our made for this investment so that more churches can use it. Um, and then lastly, that permanent space, I'd like to, I'd like to set a goal of apart from our budget, raising $100,000 over the next 24 months of special gifts, particularly for a permanent space for our community. And we don't know what that's going to be, but we believe that that's coming, and we want to challenge you to make that commitment to give towards it. Um, this is our giving from last year. Our goal was, actually the pledged amount was 122000 and 175000 came into our general budget. And this is the website that you can fill out your commitment card in over the next three weeks. We'd like to have it in by January 31st. And you know, some of you are going to be like, yeah, I know exactly how much. But I want to challenge you to take a moment and ask God, are you where you need to be? Do you need to grow in that area? All right, last thing, Malachi chapter 3. Bring in all of the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food for in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I'm going to open up the, the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try me. Put me to the test. You know, there's, there's a stream of Christianity that see, sees this and uses this passage to say, if you give, God is indebted to you to make sure that you're blessed. And that all you have to do is just make a faith offering, and then God is objectively promising you that you're going to be blessed. I don't think that that's what this is saying. What this is saying is, God is saying, I dare you to try to outgive me. I dare you to try to get out there and see how your generosity could breed the sort of kingdom come in your life that you can't imagine. And as a community, that's why we give, is to generously see the kingdom of God come to life. Instead of, instead of hoarding money, instead of being worried about money, we're, ne we're never going to fearfully say, you know, come to the community and say, we're going to shut the doors if you don't give. The answer is, you don't give, it's going to be harder, and you're going to have to do more things, and you're going to have to meet in your houses, which I don't have a problem with. We can figure that out. But, like, the generosity is what provides for not just taking care of what God's entrusted to us, but building capacity for more kingdom. So if you are one of the uh, teachers that wasn't here, um, we are going to have this on video at that website, um, the redemptionboise.org slash 2023. We will load that on there so you can watch it or you can listen to the podcast this week in case you missed it. All of the documents, the expenses, the budget, and the proposed budget are on the website. And if you have any questions, uh, we, can, we can talk through those questions. If you want to send them in, what we'll probably do is send me a note on email, and I'll address it during our Sunday gathering in the next couple weeks, and fill out a commitment card by the 31st. That's it. So are you feeling good? Are you feeling excited? Are you feeling nervous? Are you feeling... All right, I like that. I like some excitement. All right, let's pray. Lord God... 
these numbers are dry, but they tell a story of your faithfulness. They tell a story of all the ways that you have not just provided for Redemption Hill and our network, but you have provided for each of our families. Every dollar represents 10 that you've entrusted to us, that you've cared for us like a, like a good father. You've given us everything that we need so that we can give generously. And I pray that you, you, you touch our hearts to become a generous people who, who take our lives and spend them to see your kingdom come through following Jesus through sacrificial giving. And we pray that money is just the first step. It's the first step to a life submitted to you completely. The first step to a disciple-making journey where we listen to your voice and we give to the things you give to, you've called us to, we serve in the ways you've called us to, and we walk in the ways you've called us to. Lord God, as we receive communion, may it be a, a gift of reminding us that we're all in this together and that we hold all things in common. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed. You can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org slash connection, where you can fill out the connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at Redemption Boise. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God. We hope to see you soon.